Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacole. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well guys, um, as we sit here today on Wednesday, January 20th, um, I, I think a lot of people are talking about uh, like a change in leadership. Uh, some some new blood coming in, uh, someone from the state of Pennsylvania, someone from the state of California, coming in to uh, to try to take things to the next level. Um, I, I know most people are probably talking about the uh, the inauguration, but we are talking about uh, Ryan Holinsky and Jim O'Neill, uh, Northwestern's new quarterback and defensive coordinator, respectively. Um, Guys, this is this is huge news. Um, Wait, hang, hang, hang on. I was under the impression this was this pod was just going to be a bunch of master and commander takes. Uh, do we really we're really going to really going to talk football? Okay, <laughs> if you insist. Well, but before we get there, John, master and commander. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I kid. Some there's been kind of a, a running joke on the pod for a, a couple of uh, a couple of days that has neatly coincided with seismic things happening in the Northwestern football program. So yeah, let's, uh, without, without further ado, I, I, as much as I know you all want our inauguration takes and our master and commander takes, uh, there's doings a transpiring. And, and we should start off with, uh, the Ryan Helensky news. Um, we, we've been seeing smoke around this fire for several weeks now. Um, John, I believe you were doing some masterful Twitter stalking, I believe, um, seeing <laughs> me? All- <laughs> no. I mean, people are saying that uh, <laughs> some Twitter stalking was going on. Uh, who's to say who would who did it? Who can remember? Who can remember? Um, but yeah, so I mean, we talked a lot about this last week. Uh, just the possibility of Holinsky coming. Um, he made it official yesterday, and uh, this is huge. This is a really, really big deal. You know, as we look at you know the Northwestern quarterback room, you've got two guys who were top one or two quarterbacks in their class coming out of high school and they're both playing for Northwestern. It, it is huge and it's the I want to start first with the optics of three years in a row Hunter Johnson I guess I guess Hunter was was four years ago or with with the retro yeah, year yeah. Um, break year and then <laughs> Peyton Ramsey followed by Ryan Holinsky and it just like it goes to show that despite the offensive issues that Northwestern has had and that we've been struggling with for years. Northwestern is a destination for top-end QB recruits in, in coming out, coming through the transfer portal, and that's huge. Um, secondly, and I think what I'm most excited about, like we're we're about to dive into as much as much as we can we can come up with on Ryan Holinsky. Um, I, I don't. I don't want to speak for all of us. I don't think he that like he he's not the starter yet, right? Um, I think what is most exciting to me is we have a true competition in the quarterback room now. I think it's a he has a very good chance of winning that competition based on his pedigree and where he's been and how he's performed on the field. Um, but that doesn't go it, it it doesn't mean that he's the starter by by default. Um, Andrew Marty, Hunter Johnson, uh, the freshmen that are coming in, uh, Sullivan from the state of Michigan is, and is it Richardson is the other one? Yep. Um, 
There's a lot of talent to go around. There's a lot of experience to go around. Northwestern says this all the time. Iron sharpens iron. And that's like, that is, that is the true beauty of this is that we have a bunch of options and they're going to push each other. And, you know, we're going to see who comes out on top and it very well might be Holinsky. Maybe his time will come in two years. We're going to see, but without landing this transfer, Northwestern is in a much, much tougher position of not having an experienced quarterback. You know, Hunter Johnson had some starting experience with Northwestern, but not having a more experienced, like full year starter experience uh, in the room going into next year. And now they have that. And he's also like a really awesome QB. Yeah, I, I think the, I mean, you're absolutely right. Everything you said is true. Um, you know, we were kind of going through, obviously, it's funny to go back to the pod. And I think you all could tell when we were doing the pod. I want to stress again, we were not lying by omission last week. It's not like we knew anything. We're also really rational. And we kind of alluded to it, but like, Ryan Helinski's been liking Northwestern people on Twitter, left, right, and center. <laughs> for several weeks now um and you know a factor of 10 times above what other people were and and you know instagram also and um you know you can be like all right that's a little tinfoil hat it's a little true three but i mean like when a guy's just doing it repeatedly non-stop and no one else i mean like the the it just really looked like he was going there so at the time we were recording last time we were really confident this was going to happen we didn't know um, but this was kind of confirmed and that's what led us to do, to talk so much in so many ways about him on the last pod that I think led to us kind of thinking, well, what can we cover regarding Ryan Holinsky on this pod that we didn't talk about last time? And I think that's where Scuzz, you know, started off the top with drilling down on something that we mentioned last time, which was this idea of the competition. And you're absolutely right that, that this is frankly a loaded QB room now loaded with talent and um you've got three different guys i mean just randomly right who have if i'm if i'm not mistaken at least three who've started and won a football game um in a you know in a power five conference and i think on top of that the the raw talent is just crazy and and we'll drill down on that with holinsky in a second um one thing that I wanted to talk about with Holinsky, and, and you know, this dovetails with Hunter Johnson, because I think there's this feeling, well, you'll never see a recruit as big as Hunter Johnson, a five-star quarterback uh, transfer to another school. I just want to bend over backwards stressing this. Ryan Holinsky was not listed as a five-star. Whatever, like, 4.444, whatever the rounding thing you can... He is as close to a five-star without being a five-star as you could get. And this is one of the things that I don't think we really talked up enough last time. We mentioned that he was like a potential top three pro-style quarterback. This guy was the number six recruit in the state of California. Not quarterback. Not not, Yeah, not quarterback, recruit. The number one quarterback in the state of California. The number six overall. The number three overall pro-style quarterback. His offer list included Georgia, LSU, Ohio State, Oregon, Stanford, Texas A&M, USC, and many others. Um, he was a monster recruit. 
And at the time, and again, we I'm not going to go into this again because we went into it all last week. Um, we were very much in the running for this guy and circumstances kind of ended up totally hamstringing us. But um, an absolute massive recruit. And it had me kind of thinking about something. And again, there's there's no exact science to this. And I think, you know, the Hunter Johnson experience has, has taught us that. Um, and again, you know, not going to go down this road, but we all know like, things within his control, things without his, you know, not in his control, etc. Um, but we've pulled in enough of these absolute juggernaut quarterback transfers at this point that we've watched enough tape that I feel like I'm starting to get a feel for a a what an what separates an absolutely massive quarterback coming out of high school from, say, a Peyton Ramsey, right? And I think there are two categories that you can fold these guys into. And um, the top guys all have one or both categories, right? Um, one is unbelievable overall athlete, right? Um, Justin Fields would be the classic example of this, where you're just like, this guy could play 10 different positions and he just happens to be good enough to play quarterback. Um, and then the other is absolute arm cannon. That's the other group. And Hunter Johnson was part of that group. And you watched him throw it. Clayton Thorson was part of that group. And Ryan Holinsky is part of that group. This guy has an arm cannon. Wind is not going to be a concern. (laughs) Yes, right. There will not be days where his ball flutters in the wind. Um, He has an absolute rocket launcher. Um, And... He is not a guy who wants to move around a ton. He's not welded to the floor, you know, in the pocket, but he wants to sit in the pocket and throw. If he's rolling, he's one of these guys. Um, I actually got kind of like a CJ Bechet image in my head, thinking back to a guy who you rarely see him take two hands off the ball when he's rolling. Um, he wants to throw always. So even when he's moving in or out of the pocket, he's prepared to throw at all times. That's what he wants to do. Um, and I think watching him on tape, there, there are some funny things. And, and, um, I, we were joking because, you know, you look on the film and you think, all right, so let's do some film study. Let's see the kind of things that we see. And then you see things maybe you were half expecting and then things you weren't expecting. And maybe it's just because he retired this week, but when you see an enormous cannon armed gunslinger, of devout faith and really respected off-field public service, who is an absolute gunslinging Western quarterback on the field, whose blood runs hot on the field at all times, it's hard not to draw the Philip Rivers comparisons. And that is what I see when I look at Ryan Holinsky. Um, this guy, when he throws a touchdown pass, you know about it. The other sideline may be told about it by Ryan Holinsky. Um, he he is that kind of guy. He is the C- kind of CJ Bechet will... is a great Northwestern comp. By the yeah, way, yeah, right. He yeah, exactly. Uh, Holinsky is the kind of guy who will throw a fifty-yard touchdown pass, sprint the entire fifty yards with his finger in the air. And then tackle the wide receiver who caught the pass. That is the kind of guy. We now, get. now, now, granted, so the tape that we have is all of him as a freshman. So it's possible he has, you know, 
um, mellowed. mellowed a little bit <laughs> yeah. or, you know, knows, knows to, to save some of that for key moments. I mean, you know. Right. So, but it is, it is funny because I think if we, we talked a little about it last week and we talked about the, I mean, not funny in this regard, um, just, just, you know, coincidental, but um, the Holinsky family has been through a really rough road as a family. And through that, they have done unbelievable public service through the foundation that they have built. Is that, um, is that Holinsky Hopes? Yes. Uh, Helinski hopes and all you have to do is you know look at ryan Helinski's twitter feed and see um for one for a college quarterback of any level he has an enormous amount of twitter followers and part of that is because a lot of that is related to the work the foundation does and you can look at a lot of his tweets and it is not self-serving in any way it is just highlighting the tremendous importance of service to him and to his family you can also see again that he is a person of faith so again the Philip Rivers comparisons kind of jump out at you because you look at the way he plays on the field and then you look at the way he is off the field and it's just faith, service, and like hot-headed gunslinger football. And he's, I mean, so you look at it and so you're like, this guy looks like a team leader. Um, and I think, you know, you, you kind of, you know, you're looking at something and you're thinking, all right, so if you take, you know, it's like, an Andrew Marty-esque style attitude with, you know, with the cannon. So, I mean, it's like, to Scuzz's point, like, there will be a fiery-spirited competition with all of these guys. But um, what we're getting is a guy, a, a rocket-armed, fiery quarterback um, who is an amazing student and an amazing person and was a monster recruit and is coming in, you know, in his own mind to be the starter. So, yes celebrate people <laughs> it's it's a really big deal <laughs> so it'll be really interesting to see like what happens in the spring you know if and granted we will not know because there will be no word coming out of the spring um i would imagine but you know it'll be interesting to see how quickly he'll be able to pick up the uh, the playbook because you know that's something that marty and hunter have is they have a year under the bajakian system um you know grant granted i believe that the Bajakian Peyton Ramsey system is probably going to be a little bit different than the Bajakian Hunter Johnson or Bajakian Andrew Marty or Bajakian Ryan Holinsky system. I, I think that Bajakian will change the offense based on the talent that's there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see if any leader emerges out of the spring. Yeah. So I, I wanted, I wanted to hit on that a little bit because one of the first things that I saw people asking about on Twitter was Holinsky um, he's a pro style QB. He's, he's a big dude, 6'3", 225. I mean, this guy is going to look like Clayton Thorson out there. Right. Um, and asking, you know, if he's going to be able to run enough, cause he was not a runner at all at South Carolina. And if that's going to work for the Bajakian system, the, the, the truth is, is that the Bajakian system does not rely on a running QB. It's, yeah. It's, it's what you want it to be. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, like, it, it's what you want it to be. I mean, think about him at Tampa Bay. Jameis Winston was not a running QB. Um, yes, when he had Josh Dobbs at uh, at Tennessee, he he tended to run. Yes, um, when he was at Cincinnati, they tended to run because those QBs had those skill sets. But I think Bajakian's preference, actually, and, and you can look at Boston College where the, where the QB did not run very often, right? I think his preference is, is more of a pro-style QB, um, being able to, to hand off to a running back. I think... A lot of what Peyton Ramsey did was 
improvisation in the moment because that was something that Peyton Ramsey was was really adept at doing. And um, what, but what kind of goes along hand in hand with that when you start talking about Clayton Thorson and what Northwestern's offense looked like in the four years that he was starting, you start get to get specters of a quarterback getting sacked a lot. And one of the stats I wanted to dig into was was the sack rate. So just for reference, Clayton Thorson got roughly sacked on, I don't know, 5 5%, 5 to 7% of his dropbacks throughout his career. It was a little bit less on the front end of his career. It was a little bit higher on the back end of his career. Hunter Johnson in 2019, 11 sacks on 108 dropbacks, you know, just over 10%. Peyton Ramsey last year, uh, 12 sacks on close to 300 dropbacks, so like roughly 3%. Ryan Halinski in his freshman year, freshman year at South Carolina, where I might add Jake Bentley was supposed to be the starter and got injured either in the first game or in fall camp. So Linsky was kind of like an unexpected starter. 19 sacks on 400 dropbacks. That is pretty damn good for a freshman QB who is not particularly fleet of foot and is looking to throw the ball. That means that he is adept and capable of getting the ball out fast, which has been a problem for some of our quarterbacks in the past. That's what I was going to say. He gets it out quick. It's a quick release, and he's always ready to throw. I wanted to go. I wanted to hit on something too that um, we we talked about last week a little bit, and I did. You know, just wanted to go back into it um, a second ago. You know, one more time to remind everybody why he's transferring. Yeah, this is important. And we, yeah, we talked a little bit about it last year, last week. But the short of it is. Um, there is a massive in-state quarterback, totally different style of quarterback, running mobile quarterback. I think Luke Doty, I think is his name, um, who is the presumed starter. And we talked about last year that Bobo had come in and Bobo had come in and brought his guy. Um, well, one big piece of information that you need to know is Bobo's gone now. And that coaching group is gone. And a new coach, Frank Beamer, is in. And Frank Beamer really wanted Ryan Holinsky to stay. And so did the South Carolina fan base. Um, this is a beloved guy on and off the field. The South Carolina fans are kind of under the impression that he got buried last year and shouldn't have. And they did not want him to leave. It, it, it's interesting. You look at like his Twitter announcement and all of the South Carolina fans who followed him to a T were like, good luck in Evanston. Go get him. Wish it could have happened here, but all the best to you. You know, it, 100% support for him moving to Northwest. Well, well, it's probably important right. to back up even a year further because in – 2019 the year that he did play and start almost the entire season like South Carolina's offense was not great I think they finished in in like the 120s in terms of yards per play etc they they were not great and as a result uh, Brian McClendon who was the offensive coordinator got fired at the end of that year prompting them bringing in Mike Boba the next season and they also let the quarterbacks coach go in in December so I mean these are other fights like those are the guys that he came to play for at South Carolina, who got left go even before the year where he was buried underneath, you know, Mike Mike Bobo's whatever. But when you dig into that season and some of the things that happened that year, like 
Bentley getting injured, Helinski getting thrown as a, thrown in as a true freshman. They had injuries at wide receiver. They had just a collapse of, um, I think it was the right side of their line with their t- tackles getting injured. I mean, they were down to like their third string tackle at times. So it's just important context to have, you know, the the whole history of Ryan Olinsky, um, right? When to, to understand why he's transferring and I like that, that point about the South Carolina fans wanting to keep him is, is, is a really, really good one. Um, and, and we'll see, like, I mean, you know, we're going to have to see how he fits in, how he and Bajaki and work together. Um, how the other quarterbacks have developed and progressed. We didn't really see any of Marty, um, or Johnson on the field this year at Northwestern. So, that, you know, we're going to see how it all shakes out, but it's it's pretty damn exciting. There's one other piece that I think that I really wanted to, to hit on um, from Holinsky's perspective, and that is that when you look at what he did, his game log, there's like two games where his longest pass was less than 30 yards in his entire freshman season. <laughs> he, he likes to that, go deep. That, he's got a, a couple games with with seventy five yard touchdowns. Now some of that is he had a lot of talent at wideout. He had Brian Edwards was his was his um, like big big bodied receiver uh, guy who's now playing in the NFL was a third round draft pick. Uh, Shy Smith was his super speedy uh, receiver. Th- think Stefan Robertson. There's a reason those two guys are was, already talking to each other on social yeah. media. I was about, yep. I was about to say. Yeah. yeah. So, um, uh, we, we were, we were joking the weekend before he committed, those guys became Instagram buddies. What do you think they yep. talked about? Um, and then his other, his other big receiver was, was, uh, Kyle Markway, who was a tight end, who was an undrafted, um, free agent signed in the NFL, uh, after that season, I guess, but like, so, these guys were generally like four-star talent across the board. So he had really talented whiteouts. He also didn't have any like first round draft pick whiteouts like Clemson has been pumping out for years. So like that's, it's not meant to be a knock on Hunter Johnson or anything, but it's, but it's an indication to me at least that, you know, he, he's not thrown to a T Higgins um, or a, um, I, I forget the guy who's coming back to, uh, to Clemson this year now, but like, he's not throwing to one of these, you know, top, D- DJ. Yeah, yeah, he's not throwing one of these top 10 um, wide receiver recruits who's going to be, you know, a Devonta Smith who's going to be open on every play if if uh, if, if you want it. So um, that's that combined with the quick ball and his ability to just step in as a freshman when he, when he wasn't supposed to be the starter and and to be reasonable, you know, his, his completion percentage was only 58 percent. That's not wonderful for a, for a freshman, but 11 TDs and only five picks like decision-making and quick ball and, you know, that attitude and, and the leadership that John talked about. Yeah. Like, I mean, this, this dude's got as as much as you can tell from paper and then what he did his freshman year, this dude has got the tools to be really successful at the quarterback position. I, the one other thing I wanted to mention too, just as kind of taking us back to sort of where Scott started with the idea of the competition just understand right now that regardless of what happens, you know, actually on Saturdays, Northwestern has arguably the strongest armed quarterback room in the Big Ten, <laughs> if not the nation. Like, that's like, it's not like Hunter Johnson's arm went anywhere. 
these guys are super hard throwers. And you talk about like wide receivers wanting to go deep or like in practice. It's like the there will be an ability in practice to have several quarterbacks with the ability to throw the ball a country mile um, who were massive recruits where it's like, you know, Bajakian's going to have an ability to feel like he he has certain things that he can put in place. And again, not to knock Andrew Marty's arm. Andrew Marty has a strong arm also. But he's gonna. But Bajakian's gonna feel like that there are looks that he can put in place and systems that he are gonna put in place that he can run across multiple quarterbacks. Um, so yeah, it's all just super well, exciting, massive get for us. And, well, and yeah. when you couple it with the emergence of Cam Porter toward the end of the year, what that means for the play action game, the the Ooh, the Northwestern yeah. offensive line, which you know, frankly, t- when I was talking about all those sack stats, like you have to take into account how much better NU's O-line is now than it was during the Clayton Thorson era. Like those are the components that when we talked about Bajakian's BC offense, we were salivating at the idea that he is going to run. He's going to run out the same personnel on every play and he's going to bait the defense into the run. He's going to run, 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 run until they, they walk those safeties up and then he's going to hit them over the top. This quarterback room can hit them over the top and Peyton Ramsey showed the willingness of this offense to do this last year, but was limited by arm strength. I mean, that's just a fact. And, you know, whether it was the Big Ten Championship or the bowl game in Florida or that, that nice calm opening night against against Maryland, no problems. You mean you mean game, games with no exactly. weather? Exactly. In, in, you know, the rest of November and December in the Big Ten when you're playing outdoors in Iowa and, and, and on the lakefront in Chicago, I mean, that, that can be a bit more of a problem, so... Um, it just, it's yeah, two, two thumbs up. This is like, I, we, we were on this, I don't know, four weeks ago when we were just perusing the, the QBs in the transfer portal. And, and, and Holinsky is the one guy in there that had an NU offer and had an NU relationship in the past. And it just, it, it seemed maybe a little implausible if, if you were buying the, everybody's going home theory in the transfer portal because he's from California, but, um, it seemed like a potential good fit and man, it's, awesome that it has come to fruition so let's turn our attention to the other uh new name coming in uh jim o'neill uh former las vegas raiders defensive back coach um has experience as a defensive coordinator for the browns for the 49ers um longtime nfl career um i i know and we'll get into this you look at like his defenses with the Niners and with the Browns, maybe they're not not what not what we'd like to see coming in. Um, but he's got a ton of ties to Northwestern. He was a grad assistant here for two years in uh, 2003 and 2004. Um, McGarrigal and Lou Ianni were on those teams with him, so they know him. Fitz uh, has experience with him. Um, you know, he... Coached, he was a safeties coach and recruiting coordinator at Eastern Michigan with Jeff uh, Jenick. Jenick? Jenick. How do you? Yeah, yeah Jenick. With Jeff Jenick uh, there. So he's got experience with him. He knows a lot of guys on this campus. He has some time at Evanston. It's an, it's an interesting move. And I don't think, I, I certainly didn't see it coming. It's a very like insider hire without hiring somebody who was already on the staff. Um, given given all the connections and that is that is very I don't know that that's telling because I think you know we had we had a discussion what a month ago where John and I kind of walked through the case for um, 
for Tim McGarrigal and uh, um, thank you, Mac McPherson, uh, respectively, and and then even talked about Marty Long and his, you know, if he wanted to be the DC, like his his potential to do so, and like they've they've definitely brought in a guy that. I mean, he has so many connections on the team, whether it's the the players he coached, to your point, Sam, the fact that he and Fitz were effectively brand new. I mean, he was a grad assistant, and Fitz was was a, what, linebackers coach at the time um, in that 03-04 time frame. I, like, there's there, there's so many connections here. It makes a ton of sense from, from a culture and fit perspective. I think some of Northwestern fandom is is anxious about, the stats that you see when you dig back in, but we, so just laying our cards on the table, we, we talked to our buddy, Chris Giannini, uh, this evening, massive, uh, football knowledge center, but also more importantly, a huge Cleveland Browns fan. And we, we mentioned the, the 2014, 2015 Browns and, and was it Mike Patine who was the, who was the head coach there? Um, yeah, Patton. he immediately Patton, yeah. his first comment was, oh, my God, I I liked that coaching staff. But those were like the absolute worst personnel years for the Cleveland Browns ever. And that just I mean, that kind of puts everything in perspective. Right. A- after the Browns, he went to the 49ers, which was like Chip Kelly's last year in the NFL, which was also a personnel catastrophe. So um, even looking at the Raiders defensive backfield um, these last couple seasons of the NFL, there are. He, he has had to deal with huge talent deficiencies in personnel um, in all of those spots in the NFL. But maybe maybe a big, bigger marker, and, and I think, John, you made this comment, like um, if if his NFL defenses were really great, like he wouldn't be coming back to college to coach, uh, but he also still has a job in the NFL. So, like, th- like there's some, like people like this dude, and there's something to that. Well, he 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 didn't have a job in the NFL. The Raiders uh, brought in Gus Bradley to be their new defensive coordinator and let the rest of the defensive staff go. Right, so but they I didn't hire him from the Raiders, right. But he but, was working well, last year, right? Like, <laughs> sure, 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 so, sure, yeah, right. So no, you're right, and I think so. There's so much to get into here. Um, it is it's to say that this hire is a rich text. Um, there are multiple places uh, to go here. I would say um, let's let's put as an aside first because it goes with um, what Scuzz was just saying. Okay, aside from the coordinator aspect of this and the scheme aspect of this, etc. One thing to know is Jim O'Neill is regarded as a blue chip, a level, phenomenal defensive backs coach. Not only has he worked with a ridiculous amount of talent in the secondary, the current Raiders team notwithstanding, over the course of his entire NFL career, um, starting back, you know, going, you can go back as far as like Daryl Revis, but he has worked with major guys where he was their coach. Not only that, he has a secondary coach tree that is his own coaching tree that includes Jim Leonard and Jeff Halfley. So he is, to say he is distinguished as a defensive back coach is selling it very short. Um, with that said, we're going to really get into the real nitty gritty here um, of, we talked, Scuzz made this point. We talked about the fact that 
would we go in-house? And we really focused on the in-house hiring possibilities. And I think one of the things we touched on, but we didn't touch on it too heavily because we didn't really know, is, well, how much do these guys want to call plays? How much are they interested in calling plays, running an offensive system? Um, To say that Jim O'Neill has an offensive system is putting it so mildly. This guy comes from one of the most bedrock, well I mean, defensive systems. This guy comes from one of the most bedrock, well-known defensive system trees um, of recent memory. And we're going to map that out. But I would say, here's the short of it. If you're really looking for a negative on Jim O'Neill, it is the 2015 Browns season. If you are really looking for a positive for Jim O'Neill, it is Jim Leonard. And I think we'll explain both. So Scuzz talked about everything of like, okay, so back in the day, he, you know, he and Pat Fitzgerald had um, were grad assistants together. And then he spent time with Jeff Jenick on the Eastern Michigan track. Right after that, he was baptized into the Rex Ryan coaching tree family. Um, and that is where he has been pretty much the entire time since then. He was a secondary coach. He was the secondary coach when Mike Pettin was the defensive coordinator, when Rex Ryan was the head coach at the New York Jets, when the New York Jets were one of the best three defenses in the NFL. And that is where he kind of was baptized into the NFL game. And he has been an NFL, NFL guy pretty much the entire time since then. And subsequently, he went with Mike Pettin to the Cleveland Browns. And the first year with the Cleveland Browns, they were decent. And then the second year, the wheels totally fell off. And I think this is the place that everyone is really looking. And this is this is the negative. And it, it all comes back to this. Because things were as bad in that 2015 season as they really possibly could have been. You had a situation where... They were absolutely horrific on defense. The bottom totally fell out. You had players taking veiled shots at a defensive coordinator in the media, which is a horrible sign and just the the last thing you ever want to see. Um, And it just, it all fell apart. And Patton was fired. He was fired. Um, And there was a view within the team that, that, oh, Patton has handed over defensive coordinator responsibilities to O'Neill, and that's when things fell through. And this is all this perception. And then they all get fired. And then on top of this, O'Neill then gets hired into really the worst possible situation you could get hired into as a defensive coordinator at that time, which was Chip Kelly's San Francisco 49ers. When the wheels of the Chip Kelly experiment fell off in spectacular fashion, They had a bad defense before he arrived. It only got worse. Um, And O'Neill was was on board for that. And they had injuries that compounded everything. We made the point on Twitter, if you're going to say, oh, yeah, but, you know, Jim O'Neill was, you know, he did a bad job in 2015. He went to the, the Niners and then it just got worse. Just know the Niners were a horrible passing team in 2016 as well. And the quarterbacks coach of that team was Ryan Day 
So <laughs> it's like, ain't no one being like Ryan Day sucked that year. And that's why they were so bad at like passing. It's like, no, the wheels just totally fell off. The wasn't it's wasn't that, the defensive backs coach in 2015 with the Browns, Jeff Halfley? Yes. And it was Jeff Halfley. And Jeff Halfley was also the defensive backs coach at the San Francisco 49ers for that one year. So it was, and Jeff Halfley subsequently went to Ohio State, was phenomenal, and is now the head coach of Boston College. Just so, just a couple of other things to add on about that that goofy 2015 year. So um, Joe Hayden, arguably the best player on the Cleveland Browns defense in 2015, uh, got injured in middle mid of October, missed uh, off and on a significant part of the season, had a groin injury, just was, was not himself. That defense featured uh, two other first-round picks, one was nose tackle Danny Shelton, who was a who was a rookie that season, and the other was the was a first round draft pick from almost ten years prior, uh, Dante Whitner in in, in the secondary uh, as a safety. You had just a, a number of undrafted or low drafted talent, not a lot of depth. I mean, it was a it was a personnel disaster, and losing losing a corner like Hayden just you know, totally up and I mean, that, that's your lockdown corner that, that basically sets the rest of your, your coverage, um, strategy, right. So like, like just like you losing Greg Newsom. So, um, I just, just worth, worth calling out. Like, I don't, I don't, I, I think what's so much more exciting is, is to, is to, to, to pick at this Rex Ryan coaching tree and understand oh. what, what we think, um, O'Neill is going to bring to Northwestern. Absolutely. And I think the this is where it goes back to right. Like again, twenty fifteen, as bad as you could imagine. I mean it was it was bad. There's no sugarcoating it. It was horrible. A lot of it has to be laid at Jim O'Neill's feet. Everything Scuzz said is totally true. But exactly when you really get into it and even you really get into some of the problems people are identifying with this defense, it's a very well defined defense. It's not like this perfect thing. Um that like always works and it's like a god and it never goes wrong. It's a specific type of defense. It has pretty clearly identifiable weaknesses and pretty clearly identifiable strengths. And basically, the short of it is this is mainly a defense that was designed um, to stop NFL quarterbacks. And the way that it tries to stop NFL quarterbacks is by confusing the heck out of the offense at all times. You have multiple sets. So you show 3-4 on some plays. You show 4-3 on some plays. Defensive linemen move prior to the line of scrimmage. Um, you're trying to confuse the defensive, the offensive line. You're trying to hide where the gaps are. You're moving your linebackers around. And then on passing downs, you bring pressure from everywhere. Okay? It's a complicated defense. It is a defense that can be confusing to players who are not up for the challenge. And this was something that was kind of coming out. One thing that's pretty clear about this defense, especially at the pro level, is it will this set, this strategy, will not take a bad defense and make it good. It is too complicated and it asks too much of the personnel. It's not a defense for Guys who are not particularly talented football players, it don't work that way. Um, and but John, what what makes you think that if it doesn't work in the NFL, it'll work in college? Oh, <laughs> I it, it's almost like there's somebody out there who's found a way to do this. Yes. So 
let's rewind to the New York Jets, right? Um, this multiple attacking scheme where the Jets have major talent. And that's the flip side is if you have a talented defense and you want to beat the piss out of an opposing team in the sexiest possible way, this is the defense for you uh, because it's just an, an ass-kicking defense. How do we know this? Well, on the New York Jets, when Rex Ryan was the head coach, Mike Pettin was the defensive coordinator, and Jim O'Neill was the secondary coach, Jim had a promising young player named Jim Leonard. And those three guys made a massive impact on Jim Leonard. How do we know this? Because when Jim Leonard was first hired as the defensive coordinator, promoted to defensive coordinator on the Badgers, he gave several interviews where he was like, these are the three guys I learned the defense I'm using from. This is what we're going to be doing. And that's it. It is the Jim Leonard defense that Wisconsin runs is the defense he learned from that coaching tree. And we were also talking... If you want to see the pro version of it, two Wildcats are running it right now this weekend in the NFC Championship game. Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster. It's that hybrid 3-4 look. Um, They show 3-4, they show 4-3, but it's all based around pressure. And it's everything that that Jim Leonard is doing at Wisconsin. And, you know, it's it's funny, you, you guys talked early on about all the ties to Northwestern. I mean, the ties get so much deeper when you look at like the region, right? You look at what are the Packers running? What's Wisconsin running right now? How many times has Northwestern competed with guys? Jack Sanborn, arguably his top two choices were Northwestern or Wisconsin. He went to Wisconsin um, and is running that system. And we talked about the potential differences between what would he have run if he'd come here? What did he run if he'd come there? Colin Wilder, the third of the Katie triplets, right? Travis Willick, um, Patty Fisher, and Colin Wilder. Two went to Northwestern, one went to Wisconsin, and they basically picked one scheme or the other scheme. I mean, it's like the crossover is is so crazy here. But the short of it is, um, if you haven't, it, it, what has become pretty clear thanks to Jim Leonard is if you have talent on defense and a defensive pedigree, this defense can kick a crazy amount of ass. And I think that's what has us the most excited. Well, and it it dovetails with everything we've talked about for the last five years on the growth of the identity of this team as a defensive team, as a place for defensive talent to come, as a place that has put defensive talent into the NFL year after year. Um, And it like we, (laughs) Brandon Joseph, um, the, the talent we have a defensive tackle, uh, Mac Uline, Brian Gallagher, uh, like we, we have we have the players that that this type of defense can highlight now, and I I think it is very very interesting that we hired Hankowitz from not away from Wisconsin because they, they chose to keep the guy, the other guy that they had the up and coming linebackers coach who left two years later to go to Northern Illinois. But we, we hired Wisconsin's defensive coordinator the last time we needed a DC. And here we are looking at a, a, a guy that's bringing a very similar approach. And if you think about 
what Northwestern's aspirations are at this point. If we continue to simply focus on winning the West and getting a shot at the Big Ten Championship, the bar has moved. We need to be taking a shot at winning the Big Ten Championship. That means having the type of defense that can shut down a Justin Fields. And and we've talked ad nauseum about how well our defense performed against him and chose to perform to, 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 to shut him down in the Big Ten Championship game, and that opened up other opportunities. As I listen to you talk about this, John, a defense that's designed to confuse and contain NFL QBs is the, exactly the sort of thing that Northwestern needs to take our current defensive identity of really solid against the run, bend but don't break, shut you down in the red zone, elevate that to the next level of a defense that can shut you down full stop. And that's a pretty exciting and interesting. I'm reading between a lot of lines here, I realize, but that's a pretty interesting perspective and strategy. Um, and and it, like the timing of, you know, trying to bring in O'Neal in 08 wouldn't have made sense, right? if this was the type of, of defense he was bringing in with him because we didn't have the talent or the pedigree or the identity to effectively run it. But at this stage in Northwestern's evolution and where Northwestern is, I just I think it makes so much sense. Totally. And I think the the other thing to, to drill down on a little is, so in the NFL, this defense, which is very well known now because Ryan ran it, Patton ran it, O'Neal ran it, Patton's running it right now in the NFL – in the you know he's going to be running it in the NFC Championship game, and if you look at um, Green Bay fans, um, they're very ambival- ambivalent about him. They tend to rise and fall with a given performance. Now a lot of that's just the NFL anyway, but this defense has a reputation for in the NFL not being particularly great against the run. And if you look at the good year Petten and O'Neill had in Cleveland, even in that year they were not strong against the run, and that. I think has to do with this idea of um, NFL quarterbacks just being a lot harder to confuse and NFL offensive coordinators just being a lot harder to confuse because of just the levels of complexity that you're seeing there. Um, And then you look at Jim Leonard and Wisconsin's run defense is awesome every year. And it's like they're like, I just think you within this defense, Leonard has realized that you don't have to sacrifice nearly as much to confuse the heck out of college quarterbacks as you do at the pro level. And that enables this defense to be, I think, even more successful and even more aggressive. The other thing, and Scuzz just talked about this with, right, the talent difference. And again, I really do believe this is the kind of defense you want and can run when you've got the ponies in the stable. And right now our secondary is hot. And yeah, we lost a couple of guys, but we return a ton of guys and this group really utilizes them. And I think the, ironically, the easiest switch here is if you kind of think about it, I mean, to, you're probably most familiar about this if you've been listening to our Wisconsin defensive previews every year for like, you know, the decade that we've been doing these every summer. Wisconsin plays big, beefy defensive linemen. Um, you know who else plays big, beefy defensive linemen? Northwestern. You know who noticed that? Mike Pettin up at Green Bay. And he's like, hey, you know, those guys Northwestern turns out from their 4-3 system would work pretty well in our 3-4 hybrid system because they're enormous and strong. 
And, you know, a Dean Lowry can easily work inside or outside. But like a Joe Gaziano, same kind of deal, right? It's that kind of mold. And of course, a Lanny um, is effectively like works perfectly as a nose tackle in that kind of scheme. So like what Marty Long is doing is very adaptable. He's He has been like producing that kind of guy for well over a decade now. I think the fascinating thing is going to be the line. Well, can can can, it, can we double click on the D yeah. line because this is the one place where I yeah. like I've been I've been looking at like there were people talking about Derek Mason as a DC for Northwestern and um and and et cetera et cetera and I, like one of my immediate reactions was whoa 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 our personnel when you look at Northwestern's roster today is not fit for a three four and part of that reason is when you look at like those those big players you're describing at defensive end. Ernest Brown was another one. I don't think we've got a lot of those guys on the roster right now, whereas we're effing stacked at the defensive tackle position. Now, maybe a guy like Tara Edwards could move outside. Maybe a guy like um, Cameron Jordan can move outside. Like, like we have pieces that, that could potentially work here, but I, like one of the things that was really interesting to me as you were doing your film and kind of like pinging us about it, John, was you talked about, four, three concepts and three, four concepts. How does, how do you see that fitting with our roster today? And do you, do you think it's a case where like our recruiting strategy changes or, 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 or do we have the right pieces to kind of fit in today? Well, so I think Sanborn, and this is, I'm talking about Jack Sanborn, who is current middle linebacker at Wisconsin. We've talked about him before and we certainly talked about him going into the Wisconsin game. He's the perfect example um, because Sanborn was hotly recruited. He's from Illinois and was hotly recruited by both schools. And I think he, the fact that you can look at the way we were going to use him and then the way Wisconsin used him and see how different those are kind of show that there is a certain caliber of player at linebacker who can succeed in both systems. And I think it's pretty hard not to look at a Patty Fisher and be like that guy with his size is kind of a, a very prototype three four outside linebacker. Um, I think the kind of guy that I would really wonder about would be a guy like Tommy Adeware, and be like, where does he fit in here? He's sitting at like two sixty five. You know, would they look for him to like lose five or ten pounds and then like be in that outside three four spot as like an attacking type player? I mean, you know, I, I, I think I think that makes a ton of sense though. I mean, I'm thinking about like you know, three, four defenses where you've got one of the outside linebackers basically playing defensive line. Um, a guy like Adebowore could absolutely become that kind of hybrid, quote-unquote, edge rusher that could that could go in a, in a three, four if that is where we end up going. Right. And, so I mean, so that possibility is absolutely there. I do think there are so many moving parts here. Um, and I think... You you look at like a guy like Sundup Miller, were he to come back, right? Which again, fingers crossed, that would be just phenomenal. But you look at Alex Miller, right? Alex Miller is another example of a guy who in a 3-4 can play end or tackle, right? I mean, ideally you're looking for like a real nose tackle, but Alex Miller, you know, that's a guy who's a real prototype kind of um, 3-4 end, right? And then, right, you look at a guy like Tommy and you like, he could certainly come off the end. And Eku Leota certainly fits the profile of an outside end, right? But, and we haven't even mentioned this yet. We were talking about 
that 2015 Browns season, where again, the wheels fell off in the most spectacular fashion. Well, if Fitz had questions about that 2015 season and what was really going on in the locker room, there's a really easy phone call for him to make, and that is to Ibrahim Campbell, who was a rookie on that team, who was drafted onto that team, and Halfley was his position coach, and Jim O'Neill was his defensive coordinator. So you're talking about two guys, you know, very active with defensive backs, right, on that team. So Campbell would know, but Campbell was... You know, we found a quote online where when he was drafted, he was talking about well, one of the first things these guys told me is they like my flexibility because they don't like the defense to be able to identify a strong safety or a free safety. And that is the kind of quote that tells you everything you need to know about this defense, right? They're looking for flexibility. They're looking for, you know, if it's a 3-4... They're looking for outside linebackers who can also play inside, right? They're looking for ends who can also play tackle. They're looking for a guy who could potentially be an end, but if you know, but if you need him to be an outside rush linebacker, like he can potentially fit that bill. And a guy like Adewari suddenly becomes like a really flexible kind of guy. And then you can also easily look and be like, look, for a guy like Brandon Joseph, good God, <laughs> like he can just he can do. Anything. He's such a perfect, this, perfect fit for the. Yeah, and and is he, this, I mean, is he a comp right. for Jim Leonard, Leonard in the way that Leonard played? I mean, kind of when you look at the instincts, yeah. right? Exactly, and the ability to go over like he will get sacks in this defense, like, and he'll be, and again, right? They're looking at him. They'll be like, you can put him at either safety position. It's not going to be well defined. Free safety, strong safety. You know, like we're just going to put the talent out there, and they're going to be moving them around. And again, it's. This is a defense that, again, the degree of difficulty is high. It is not a defense for low-caliber players. It is a hard, complex defense that is built on discipline and swagger. And Wisconsin is all you need to look at to see how that works. Um, They do it with talent, and they do it with just, just discipline and this unbelievable system. And you look at the way... They rush the passer on third down or on really any down. And the way the heat just comes from everywhere and how blinding it is and how hard it is and you know for quarterbacks to deal with. And like that is that is the goal. And I think again, like it's this is the system O'Neill wants to run. Like he's coming in with that system. Like he is from this tree and he can look just north at Leonard his protege and be like this will totally work at the college level so right i mean i think with the linebackers in particular i think there's going to be a big adjustment because it's going to be i think a lot less read and react although i mean it's it's all read and react like everyone like that's what defense is but i think linebackers are going to be attacking a lot more there's a lot more blitz because I mean you're you're bringing at least one linebacker on just about every you know every standard down in that kind of system, um, so it'll be a big adjustment for those guys. And I think you know there will be a big schematic adjustment. And for to the extent that there's hand wringing, it's like no, yeah, it's not just we're not taking last year's great defense, subbing in new talent and running back the same system. That's not what we're doing. Um, but the flip side is we're running a potentially phenomenal system if you have talent and i think we all feel like we have a major amount of talent right now from last year's number one defense in the country that is still coming back and uh, that is going to be up to run this system 
I'll be really interested to see, you know, in his introductory press conference, which has not yet happened. And, you know, as, as we speak, it's not even official. Like Northwestern hasn't officially announced this happening, but Adam Rittenberg is reporting and uh, we, you know, feel very confident that his reporting is, is spot on. In Adam, um, we trust. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what, you know, what his press conference sounds like, you know, what, if, you know, will he get into X's and O's in this opening press conference? Will he address uh, his long time away from college as far as a culture change uh, coming from the NFL uh, down to the college level? I'm not going to say down, but switching from, you know, professional to quote amateur, but that that's another discussion. Well, I, and to that, to that effect, like, not a connection that he has, but you look at someone like Kurt Anderson, right, who spent a fair amount of time in the NFL and has come back uh, to college. You look at we talked about Tim McGarrigal, who spent a fair amount of time in in the NFL and has come back to college. And and if if you if you line up Northwestern's aspirations and even even their their tagline, right, like ready for the league, ready for life, that like it makes sense that you want coaches on your staff who have that pedigree and have that experience and have the, the connections at the next level and know what it takes to prepare you. And I like that has dividends in recruiting and development and a whole other bunch of places. Um, so I like, that's a piece that I'm actually pretty excited about. And, you know, obviously we're, we're going to have to see how, how it plays on the field. Right. But it's worked out pretty darn well with those other guys to date so the other other thing too is um i think it's crazy to think about but jim o'neill who has such a long track record i think so much of the narrative around him um at the you know when the everything blew up and you know talking about things he's gonna have to talk about in the press conference i'm sure people are going to be bringing up that 2015 season and a lot of the time at at the time the narrative that quickly developed was he's too young and he's not ready for this. And um, and again, like to Scuzz's point, like we have our friend Chris Giannini, who was is a huge Browns fan, who was like, look, like that team wasn't ready for it. And he was part of it. Um, but the flip side is he's 42 now. Like he is another young, energetic guy. So again, we don't know about recruiting. We don't know things like that. But you're talking about a guy who is very young, very high energy, part of a staff that kind of reflects that in a lot of ways, where a couple of those guys are really dynamic recruiters. And, you know, you assume that the part we haven't even talked about, you know, him getting out on the road um, and selling this this really high tempo system along with all of his pro experience. So it's fascinating and, you know, it's it's incredibly fascinating because if you think Northwestern and and Wisconsin go to war for recruits now, I it's just the the parallels are so strong at this point that the, you know these two teams. I mean, how a defensive how a defensive recruits making it out of Illinois and Wisconsin to go anywhere? I have no idea at this point because um, you're going to have two young, really energetic coaches selling really the sexiest style of defense possible um, and, and basing it around, you know, a, a large amount of success and a large amount of talent. And let's not overlook the fact that he was a recruiting coordinator for three years at Eastern Michigan. So, you know, he does have experience kind of heading up the recruiting game. So sure. It was, it was a, it was a little while ago, uh, but you know, having that experience is huge. 
And it is funny. I mean, we've had so many guys work in and out of the pros and, and of course, guys with, you know, Hankwitz, of course, being the biggest example of this, being like his, his, you know, his coaching tenure has touched, you know, so many guys for how long it went back. But Jim O'Neill, I mean, he can sit with Brandon Joseph and be like, let me tell you how Darrell Revis used to do things. You know what I mean? It's like those kind of he is deep into the NFL and somehow at the you know the tender age of 42 he has this decade of you know rises and falls to be sure but a decade that is as rich of NFL history as you'll see and this is a guy who's you know can got he's got Rex Ryan on speed dial you know amongst other people right and and again and Mike Pettin on speed dial a guy who is a defensive coordinator of the Green Bay Packers right now um, so you factor that in and you're like, our defensive coordinator, best boys with the Packers defensive coordinator, where there are two Northwestern defensive players right now. And oh yeah, we also have the team president. It's like, you know, there are suddenly Northwestern is just knee deep in, in these kind of pro connections. So, um, yeah, I, again, we don't want to just brush over the hand wringing. That was that 2015 Browns season. It was awful. And, you know, and in all honesty, he didn't seem to have handled it very well. And that is something that he's going to be asked about and, and he'll have to, to, to discuss and answer for. But um, it is hard to say that there was a more obvious hire when you actually looked outside the program, a hire with more potential upside. Um, and a hire that just fits in a bunch of different reasons than than Jim O'Neill. I think it, it just makes sense. I, I suppose we should talk hoops. Um, you sure, you have you to? talk about Master and Commander for a little while or something. <laughs> uh, you, know. you know, I'm sad to say I haven't actually seen it. I assume I I should it's go watch long. it. It's uh, very if, long. If, if if it's between that and watching NU hoops, then yeah, <laughs> it might be longer than Northwestern's losing streak, but maybe not by much. I I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll 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 see. Um, I don't have a lot of free yeah, time. Yeah, uh, <laughs> might might be a two or three night watch then. But uh, yeah, yeah c- coming off uh, yet another really disappointing loss uh, to Wisconsin tonight, sixty eight fifty two. So, something ain't working, folks. You know, and I, I, I mean, we're we're loath to point too many fingers at the coaching staff, but it it seems more and more like these guys should be developing. Like, yeah, we, we have talent on there, and they're not all on the floor at the same time. the 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 combinations of guys on the floor seem off. And well, and when the, and when they are on the floor, I mean, I think like uh, we we've seen like the post talking about this. We've seen others talking about this. Like, it's uninspiring basketball. They look disconnected and discombobulated. They look. Uh, I I can't remember if it's Ryan Lindley or who or who else it is, uh, but continues to say like, it looks like five guys trying to play pickup against an organized college coached basketball team, and like one hundred percent, some of this falls on the players. There are guys on the team that you know. Audige likes to shoot and if he sees a look that he likes he's going to take it regardless of where things are in the shot clock and otherwise and like a a coach isn't going to isn't like a coach needs to pick their battles right just like you're managing anything you've got to pick what what 
matters and focus on what matters, and, and, and you're never going to get it perfect. Like, when Adija's hot, um, he's white hot. Like, yeah, but like, but the the the. I guess my my point is is that our players are not perfect, but they're very talented, and we're seeing this team with this amount of talent significantly underperform Northwestern teams of the past who had much less talent but were more effectively coached or or put in position to succeed. And I like whether like if if Collins just hasn't figured it out, I don't know what I don't know what it is, but like it it's pretty concerning and we're at that place again where it's I mean we hit we hit this last year, right? Should Collins be on the hot seat? Should he continue to be the coach at Northwestern? We we as a group are pretty slow to to hit the the eject button on on Carmody. Like we even towards the end, uh, right before he got fired, we were still you know hemming and hawing about that because of of how much we liked him and what he brought to Northwestern. Collins has has corrected some some ills from the past, uh, but has created others. And and the, the game day experience is a, is a catastrophe right now. Yeah, and I mean, like Sam alluded to, you know, lineups, matchups, the way piece of. I mean, we've we've you can go back and look at some recent pods where we talked about all this stuff, and it's you know, frankly, exhausting to to go into at this point. I think to, to Scuzz's point, we're. I think we're kind of shifting toward big picture narratives right now. And in addition to just the crazy amount of losses Northwestern's racked up over the last four years, in just about every one of those seasons, Northwestern got worse as the season went on. And I think the, the what the, let's see, 2021, I think you can go back three seasons and be like, they started six and six, they finished six and 12. Um, the season after that, the bottom absolutely fall, fell out and they lost who knows how many games in a row in a season where they only won four conference games. Um, last year, we won two of our last three. We won three conference games total. So not reading too much into that. And this year we started, won our first three, and now we've lost six. Um, and, you know, it's you're getting the period of a team that's not making adjustments, a team that is, you know, getting worse as seasons go on and a team that other teams are figuring out. And I think there is a real feeling, you know, and people we've talked to and in, you know, in the pod and, and people who listen to the pod and you guys, you know, that there's a feeling that, that already people are like, look like this, we we've been down this road where it's like, this is the fourth straight season. We see the wheels falling off. We don't see them coming back on. And then you're already looking ahead. Now, you know, if you want to try to be glass half full, to the extent that there is a soft underbelly to this season, we're heading into it now. Um, of our, you know, four of our next six are Penn State, Rutgers, Purdue, and Indiana. Those are all teams um, with, or uh, Penn State, Rutgers, um, twice, and Indiana. So those are all teams with losing records in conference right now. Um Penn State is the worst team in the conference right now. So if you're looking for a cure for what ails you, it's that game on the road, um, our next game at Penn State. Um, or, or, or a clear signal. On yeah, right. I mean, exactly. I mean, it's like we are. I, I like like I think that I think something is important to, to digest is, you know, you go backwards and not getting Jordan Lathan was was a a inflection point for this team because coming off of the Brian McIntosh era, which was, you know, we broke the the NCAA tournament 
uh, glass and we, you know, we inked guys like Vic Law who had incredible careers. You saw the development of Derek Pardon. Not getting late and not having a point guard for, you know, two, three years on the team. Like we like we have guards now. We have really good guards now and they're they're playing well in spurts and then and then struggling either either because they're not being coached well or they're not being used right or 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 whatever. You know, last year losing Pardon and Law, we were brand new on the front court. You know, Nance was still developing. Young was a freshman. Uh, was it Jared Jones was a freshman as well who ended up transferring? Like, I you know, you, you lost um, Ivan Rap. I can never pronounce his last name. Um, Rapolis Ivanovskis? Yeah. Um, who who left and then went to the the Patriot League and was a scoring champ? Like, but but none of those excuses apply this year. I mean, the only thing that you can kind of say this year is, well, the big 10 is really effing good. Cause everyone, like all the superstars came back and we're seeing, you know, we got those three big wins at the beginning of the year. We've seen spurts and flashes. They got within five against Wisconsin tonight, closed a gap. And then the wheels came off the game against Illinois, where we're leading at half by what? 20, 20, 15. 15, and the wheels come off. In, we lost in, by 20. In a historic and catastrophic way, and those, there's not a lot of excuses left. And, and, and you know, the, the, the upside that we talked about last year or the year before was, you know, the talent that is coming in and the talent is, that's sitting there on the table with Patrick Baldwin Jr. And otherwise, like, like it's, it's probably worth letting Collins, you know, have another shot. Be like if this year continues down this, if we don't win another game this year. If we can't, you know, scratch out some wins here in this in this soft underbelly, like you described, John. Like I, I don't, I don't know how you, I don't know how you you don't look at this year and say, well, this, not that this was the year to go, you know, twenty and six and get back to the tourney, but it should have been a year where you you weren't a catastrophe. And I just I don't know what optimism there is on recruits continuing to come and improvement continuing to be made because we're not seeing the improvement, even though some of those excuse factors from, you know, recent history are no longer factors. Yeah. We, we, we've got, we've got the new stadium. Um, you know, it, the facilities are there, you know, everything should be clicking at this point and it's not. And at, at some point you get, you got to look and say something, you know, like you said, Scuzz, we're running out of excuses. It was, we, oh, we're playing at All-State Arena. Oh, you know, we're, we just, you know, we don't have a point guard. Oh, this, this, this. You, you run out of excuses at some point. The joke for years in football has been, can we have a great defense and a great offense? Can we have a coach that recruits and is good in, in game? Yeah. Like- I, and, and, you know, I think we, the fact that Jim Phillips has moved on to, to the ACC is, at this point, officially kind of a major complicating factor. I think if Jim Phillips was still here, we would all be looking at the tea leaves right now and we would be saying we're probably watching a guy coaching out his last season right now, barring barring a major shift. Like Scuzz was saying, you know, the, the spots are coming in right now. On one hand, this could be the time in a schedule where we kind of, you know, write the ship a little bit, but it also could be the spot where the wheels come off in earnest. And, uh, you know, over I think over the past couple of weeks, there's the feeling that, look, we're, were Jim Phillips still here, we would be pretty clearly watching the twilight of the Chris Collins era. And there's that complicating factor right now because we don't have an athletic director. And on one hand, um, 
that creates a situation where, you know, it may buy Collins some time. The flip side, and multiple people have brought this up, is that um, a new AD is going to come in who doesn't have those ties and doesn't have those connections and is going to be staring at a coach with, you know, since that tourney appearance, a really bad run. And um, with... Well, that, that's assuming it's an external hire. I mean, there is right. still the possibility that it's an internal hire, in which case those relationships exist. True, still. right, true, exactly. And that is a possibility. Um, but there's there's no doubt. I mean, it's I think this season, and we've had these conversations with a lot of people, um, that, that you feel like you're watching the end of the road here. And again, you know, we... Could we run off? You know, we go on fire. We suddenly rip off ten wins in a row. Then fantastic. Let's let's do it. Um, but I think there's the feeling. And yes, we've played some good teams, but there's there's been this feeling. I think especially from the second half of the Illinois game on that this team's just just not there. Um, and you can look at the Wisconsin game, and you know, one whisker it was close, and then suddenly Wisconsin's just blowing our doors off. And um, that that's where this team is right now and that we're not really seeing um, an ability for, as Scuzz said, a talented team with talented individual players um, to work out of that. And I think we're we're headed toward the end of the road here. And if we don't see a change definitely over this Penn State Rutgers stretch, then I think you, you're starting to get the feeling that that we are pretty firmly on that path. I think we should talk about the, the women's team, um, you know, just to get us back on on the winning side of things, um, you know, three game win streak. Uh, the Rutgers game was postponed. Uh, you know, we got Illinois coming up uh, tomorrow as we record this on Wednesday night. Uh, Illinois is on Thursday evening, and then a nationally televised game on the twenty fourth against Indiana on ESPN two. Um, that that should be a, that should be a lot of fun. And like you know, since the stumble against Michigan and the the Nebraska debacle, uh, if uh, debacle maybe is not the, the best term for it, but I mean there's definitely a loss that uh, we shouldn't have had. But like a curb stomping of Wisconsin, uh, Iowa win by ten, um, and and then the, this Penn State game. A seventeen a seventeen point win against Penn State. Penn State is is not good in, I was in the conference. Say, you know but... how you know how good Northwestern's women's basketball team is. They played pretty badly against Penn State, and they won by seventeen points. Uh, they twenty two turnovers, shot three for sixteen from three, won by seventeen. <laughs> and it's like, but which you know, part of that is is the defense. I mean, we know how good this team is on defense. Penn State scored fifty. Um, and, and Penn State shot incredibly poorly as a team themselves, and that's Northwestern's defense. There were 49 uh, turnovers in this game. Not a pretty game to watch. Um, but Woof. but still, um, you know, it's Northwestern, for better or worse, and, you know, for most mostly better, is the kind of team that against a lower-tier Big Ten team can come out and not give their best effort and still roll to a victory. And again, that's not... When again, the Sam's aforementioned nationally televised game against Indiana, um, we're going to need our very best. But this team has shown that they can produce that kind of effort, and they've shown that they have the raw talent to get through the occasional clunker. And uh, that's that's why they are so good. Yeah, you, I mean, you're going to have your occasional clunker. I guess one thing that I would pull from this game 
you didn't see the 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 yes shooting from three was was rough but you didn't see the overall field goal percentage as a problem in this game like it was against nebraska with tons of missed missed layups free throws like ladies we gotta we gotta we gotta we gotta clean up clean up what we're shooting from the free throw stripe but um 42.9 percent against penn state that is not great now now only 14 attempts right so six of 14 that sounds maybe a little bit more palatable just because you know you're not like you're shooting like 25 free, th- free throws or something but um but then you you also see that that northwestern uh out out, re- out rebounded especially on the offensive end penn state which was you know a huge problem against michigan and nebraska and then you see that um they they still forced 17 steals um you know that that defense uh coming to bear so not like the the, the theme that i've been peddling from you know northwestern hit it hit hit some skids at kind of the worst possible point given who they were playing in, in nebraska and michigan and got out of that by being much more precise and excellent in their execution and yes this game was a step back from the standard you would expect for nu but um not a not a huge falling off the cliff like we saw uh in those couple games uh, uh earlier in the month yeah i think the final thing that i would add is you know we're we're starting to head into the heart of the conference season with this team and they're sitting at fifth and and you're right i mean that the michigan loss was a big one but it is an amazing calibration that we've made as women's basketball fans where now we're like oh well we're not a you know that regular season title not as much in reach as it was and it's like folks this is one of the best women's basketball conferences in the country and we're a top five team in that conference we're a shoe in to make the women's tournament we're absolutely going to make noise in the conference tournament if not in the regular season championship um it's and you know it's just funny how the the talent of this team and the excellence of this team has has calibrated our expectations but this is a phenomenal team they are they've righted the ship as Gus said they're playing you know they are playing dominant basketball right now they're capable of playing just phenomenal basketball and they've got a really exciting road ahead well guys um i think we should wrap it up for tonight is there anything else we need to cover before we go uh, I, I mean, the only thing is we're still kind of holding on hope maybe for some other, some more players in the transfer portal and edge rusher, um, may, maybe another running back or uh, or or de- defensive back um, from a, or wide receiver from a depth perception perspective. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But um, it, it, I don't I don't think we're done yet in the portal. I don't I don't have any names. I don't have any intel, but it, seems like with the the chips that have fallen to us thus far it seems pretty plausible that northwestern could land uh, another player um personally i just i would i would love 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 to bolster our defensive end room and and that player could be sam up miller i know that's not coming through the transfer portal but that's 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 probably the biggest thing on my mind over the next uh week week and a half two weeks as long as we're talking portal i'm gonna throw out a name just because i want to look like do, do just- it the, abs- the absolute man and the off chance that it actually happens, which I, I don't know anything, but heck, things are going pretty well for us right now. Um, it's also a, a pronunciation challenge for me. Um, I'm going to go with uh, Henry Tootoo, um, who was the same recruiting class as uh, Ryan Holinsky and was a top 20 California state player linebacker who went to Tennessee and 
with Tennessee's um, coaching change, um, coaching change, yeah. the coach was fired. Um, he uh, Tooto, uh, and again, I apologize if I'm if I'm butchering the pronunciation here, um, has entered the transfer portal. This guy was a massive top fifty recruit in the nation. Running a linebacker was Tennessee's best linebacker last year, I think, as a freshman, and has now entered the portal. Um, he is from Concord de la Salle, the noted high school that for, you know, like went a decade plus without losing a football game. Um, notable because, and here's a name drop that we dropped on Twitter, and I'm just happy to drop it again. Um, Simba Short was a linebacker of Northwestern years past from De La Salle, who, you know, sadly had to medically retire after he came to Northwestern. Um, we believe that he still got his Northwestern degree. Um, I, I don't have a confirmation on that, but um, believe that he did and then returned um, to California and is now an assistant coach at De La Salle. So you're talking about a guy who is a linebacker, was a linebacker at Northwestern, um, is a coach at De La Salle right now, um, and definitely has a connection to uh, Henry Toto. And, and so, you know, there's there's that there's that kind of connection make of make of it what you will. Also, we have this sexy new defense and this sexy new defensive coordinator. And oh, Tim McGarrigal, one of the best linebacker coaches in the country. And oh, yeah, the best defense in the country last year. And oh, yeah, a top 10 team. So, you know, and oh, yeah, we just signed a massive California recruit who transferred out of the SEC. So there you go. If you're looking for another name, the sky's the limit, folks. Why not? Why not? Why can't we just grab Tennessee's, you know, arguably best defensive player that just entered the portal? Sure. Well, if that does happen, we will be back to talk about it. Um, and I guess we'll go ahead and uh, put a bow on this one. Head to our website, westlotpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Pirates, And email the show, westlotpirates at gmail.com. Uh, one other great way to help the show, if you like what you hear, is to give us a five-star rating on your podcaster of choice. Uh, definitely helps us in the search algorithms. Um, and, you know, tell a friend. Uh, we, we'd love to... I'm sure you all know Northwestern fans who are craving more Northwestern content. Send them our way. We'd, lo- we'd love to reach their ears as well. Uh, so tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics and look for us in the west lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazba, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.